0: Hey, Sandra, my love. Hey, Lisa. Kristen, boo. Oh, yeah. How are you? Ya? Are y'all ready? Oh, so you ready. know it. Yes. Then let's do it. Let's go to the movies, ladies. Welcome to Lisa, Sandra and Kristen Go to the Movies, a podcast where three movie geeks, that's that, us. That's us. That yes. It. Talk to award winning directors, actors, screenwriters, costume designers and more about their work. We also dish on their favorite movies, movie moments and share our own favorites, too. I'm Lisa France, and I'm a senior writer for CNN Entertainment.
1: I'm Sandra Gonzalez. I'm also a senior reporter for CNN, covering TV and
2: film. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, former host of the Movie Date podcast, currently a co-host on the podcast by the book and author of So You Want to Start a Podcast, available in
0: August. This is the official podcast of CNN's new TV series, The Movies, which you can watch on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. I've seen the series, and let me tell you, it is amazing. Really good. A must-see for any movie lover. So after you're done listening to our podcast, you should definitely go check that out.
1: A little bit later in this episode, we'll get to the interview. Spoiler alert, it's going to be epic!
0: So true, it's with a legendary
2: guest, one of my very favorites, but you don't have to take our word for it. Get it?
0: That's a hint, people, by the way.
1: <laughs> Just a small <laughs> hint, so corny. But first, I was thinking we could play another little game, ladies. Oh, joy. Down? Yay, joy. I love a game. Excellent. So, here's how this one goes. I'm going to give you a classic film, and you have to recast it with actors from today. Lisa, since you did such a great job coming up with your five movies on the fly, I'm coming to you first. That's debatable, by the way. Yeah. That good job. <laughs> you are going to be recasting, drum roll, The Godfather. Of course I am. Of course. It's such a natural pick for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you were going to recast these lead roles, who would you pick? So no
0: pressure. That's not hard at all. And people aren't going to be angry at me over my picks. Um, (laughs) So for Michael, which, of course, was played excellently by Al Pacino, you need somebody who is a mixture of tough, but also vulnerable, who you can picture being the son in the family who everyone's hopes and dreams are riding on. But at the same time, then turns into like a total badass. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to go with Ansel Elgort.
2: Ooh, oh, interesting. Right. That's okay. a surprise.
0: Right. Wow. Right. Because I feel like he has that perfect mix. You know, we've seen from his roles that he can play a really good bad boy. I think he uh, does smirky like you kind of want to kill him, but you kind of love him oh. at the same time. Very punchable when he's smirky. Very punchable <laughs> when, he's, <laughs> when he's smirky. Exactly. Not that I would ever punch him. No, of course. no none, none of us would. We don't advocate violence, even though it is the Godfather. <laughs> and then for Kay, which was Diane Keaton and such an uh. important role for her, I feel like we need an actress who can be both vulnerable and tough at the same time. Mm-hmm. Someone who you see is falling in love with Michael but also kind of feels like mm, what, what am i getting myself into with this family? I'm going to have to go with Emma Watson. Oh, I feel like Emma's really okay. smart. I also feel like she hasn't stretched herself in a role like this. It's like it's it seems like a quiet role, but it really is a meaty role when especially I won't, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to do a spoiler alert because you should have seen the movie, but the final scene in the movie, you really get to see the dawning on K of exactly what is going on. Like she always suspected it. She always kind of like knew what was going on, but then you get that moment of like wow, like she's she's really bitten off more than she can chew. Wow, mm-hmm. that would
2: be a big difference from her Harry Potter days.
0: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But I feel like she's ready for it. I feel like we've seen her in like whimsical roles and we've seen her in serious, dramatic roles. Musicals. Musicals, mm-hmm. but right, Beauty and the Beast. But I feel like this would give her the opportunity to let people know that she really can stretch her acting muscles. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Um, For Fredo, which is my personal favorite, because John Cazal... I mean, he he died very young. He is known as the actor who all of the films that he appeared in, which were a limited number, were all nominated for best picture. Wow. Uh, there's been a movement over the years to try to get him a posthumous best actor or best supporting actor award because that's like what a strong influence he had. Because the man was an incredible actor, mm-hmm. and that role of Fredo in Godfather one, but especially in Godfather two. It's so heartbreaking. We really cheer for him, even when we find out that in Godfather 2, he's done something really, really evil and dastardly because he's so innocent. So we need somebody who can give us innocent and sweet and vulnerable. I'm going to go with Ezra Miller.
2: Ezra Miller. Hold on. Who's Ezra Miller? The Flash. What? Yes, my gosh, I am not seeing enough superhero movies because I, <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about, even though I should know this.
1: Sandra, what do you think? As uh, I'm, I'm here for it are skeptically, you? but I'm here for really? it. Really? Yeah, I think he embodies all the qualities that you described, and it would be I love the unexpected choice. Like I, you know, yes. there are some things that are basically spelled out for you, right? But. I think that would be a very exciting I'd be intrigued. Right. I'd get me into the theater. It's a tough role because it's a role that
0: everybody really remembers. When you think about the Godfather, even though Michael is the star, mm-hmm. Fredo is like the heart in a lot of ways of the film. He's just so sweet and so vulnerable and you want to protect him. Um, and then we got to go Tom, who's the attorney in the movie, who is a bit of an outsider because he's not really a family member, but they adopted him. So he's also an insider and he's Super smart, and you find out how ruthless he is, too. I'm gonna go Dave Franco. Interesting. I feel like Dave Franco is often the overlooked Franco. I think he's a great actor. I think he has a lot of magnetism. And I also think he plays the everyman really well. Because Tom, in the film, comes across as the, you know, like the citizen. Mm -hmm. Because he's the attorney. And you think that his hands are clean. But you know that his hands are absolutely not clean. Because he's an attorney for a mob family. So you need somebody that feels very kind of like middle of the road. Mm. And then finally, drum roll please. For the most iconic role. The Don. The Don. Who, of course, was played by Marlon Brando. I am gonna go with Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy as Vito Corleone. Interesting.
1: Puff Tom those Hardy. cheeks. I, I need out. a buzzer. Nope. <laughs> no, no you don't like Tom Hardy. No, no. Tom Hardy's intense. I'm I'm buzzering, I'm buzzering Why? that. Because then you're putting him on the same level as as Marlon Brando.
0: There's no Marlon Brando. That's the whole point. Like, I cannot win when casting that role because we don't have a Marlon Brando. You
2: don't think we have a Marlon Brando today? What about no. Morgan Freeman?
0: No. What about- I mean, we we can't make the Don Black. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm going to stick with Tom Hardy. I'm telling you, I feel like Tom Hardy could disappear into this role. I really do. I feel like he has the intensity that the role calls for. Uh And when Don Corleone is sitting in the opening scene and he's stroking a cat while he's waiting for people (laughs) to come to talk to him, to ask him favors on his daughter's wedding day, there's such strength in that. And I think Tom Hardy could do that. I would be excited to see Tom Hardy take on that role wow. I'm telling you I feel, like okay. okay. no. I feel like y'all have
2: set me I up to fail I didn't say it was a bad things. idea I said it was interesting interesting I mean, is the a, word interesting, interesting. I'm sorry, I you Inter- I was, I'm interesting is
0: always code for that Sucks. <laughs> And no, Lisa. And what were you thinking? And couldn't you do better than that? And so I submit to you that you all do better than that because they gave
1: me the godfather. Exactly. That's a tough movie. I love you. Give Uh, me
0: something easier if you don't want me to go rogue is all I'm saying.
1: That's tough. That's an intense new game. It's an intense new game. (laughs)
2: Well, I love this game. And we've been hearing from a lot of listeners out there who love the game that we have been playing on our show called My Five Movies. Mm -hmm. And we want to continue hearing from all of you out there. Go to Twitter and use the hashtag MyFiveMovies. That's my, the number five, movies and tell us if you could only watch the same five movies for the rest of your life what would those five movies be and be sure to tag us at CNN Podcasts so we can see what you chose and maybe ridicule it but mostly laugh at it and celebrate
0: it (laughs) they're gonna ridicule you people (laughs) trust me ask me how i know don't trust them ask me how i know
2: (laughs) now let's get to the big interview shall we ladies let's do it let's go LeVar Burton is a true legend who shot to fame at the age of 19 when he played Quinta Quinte in the Emmy and Golden Globe award-winning series Roots, based on the novel by Alex Haley. He's also widely known and adored as the host of the long-running PBS series Reading Rainbow and as Geordi LaForge on Star Trek's Next Generation TV series and films. Lavar is a prolific actor, director, and producer who over the course of his career has earned many accolades, including a Peabody Award, a Grammy, numerous Emmys, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 2017, he debuted a new podcast called Lavar Burton Reads. Each episode features a work of short fiction narrated by Lavar and expertly crafted in a way that allows listeners to escape into the world inside the story. LeVar Burton Reads will return with its fifth season on August 13th, so make sure to subscribe now so you don't miss it. LeVar Burton, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so honored to have you on the podcast.
3: My God, the honor is mine. You guys are awesome. That was like the best introduction ever. Can I go home now? (laughs) And not quite. I, hang in I there with us, imagine I, my day getting any better than that. And it only no. scratched
0: the surface, LaVar. <laughs> yes, you've got to hang in there with us just a little
3: <laughs> bit longer. Wow. Hi, ladies. How are we doing? We're,
0: We're doing good. great. And
2: we want to start off by talking about your life in sci-fi and your love of sci-fi. So mm, one of your most mm-hmm. iconic roles, of course, is Geordi LaForge on Star Trek Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Where did your love of sci-fi come from?
3: It's sci-fi um, In the popular cultural sci-fi literature, sci-fi movies and television, um, I, I got bitten by the bug very, very early. And so um, Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future is the one that really dominates um, my, my canon. Um, as a young black kid growing up in Sacramento, California in the 60s and early 70s, it wasn't all that often in the pages of the science fiction novels that i read where i was encountering heroes uh you know who looked like me.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All
3: right. So Jean's vision of, of the future with Nichelle Nichols on the bridge of the Enterprise was huge for me because it simply said that when the future came, there would be a place for me, and I I, I dug this out of that notion. It, yes. it, beat the, it beat the hell out of the alternative, I suppose. Um, so yeah, uh, Star Trek um, has has been a part of my life for almost as long as I can remember. You know, since you know since, since you know I was in elementary school
1: well science fiction as as a genre has always lended itself to more sort of progressiveness and like diversity mm-hmm. and really making a place for everyone right. in the future
3: well it it is now it it is it, now. It, it, it hasn't always been that
1: way mm-hmm.
3: um for the most part i I am, I am here to tell you that science fiction until recently has been dominated by the white male uh Euro, eurocentric point of view um, even when imagining the future, people of color have been marginalized um, and 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 absent.
1: Mm-hmm. And as that's changing, are you hoping that that's inviting more people into the genre?
3: I hope so. I mean, one of the th- the, the joys that I get from doing Lavar Burton reads is that I'm introducing the same audience that you know that I was giving reading recommendations to when they were six and seven. Um, I'm introducing them to, to new authors. Um, and 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 authors primarily in the speculative fiction game, which is my favorite literature genre. So uh, I'm proud that I have introduced Rebecca Rowan Horse to my audience, and and uh, and and Nnedi and and Nisi Shawl, and uh, N.K. Jemison, and and on and Jamie Go, and and on and on and on. I mean, all of these amazing authors with just Oh, such vivid imaginations and and creative craft and mastery of the language, they deserve to be heard and read mm-hmm. and 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 so it's my joy to shine a light on their work.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm writing down every single name that you just said.
3: <laughs> every there are more. Name. There are more. There's Ted Lu. <laughs> there's Ted Chang. Um, no wait. Ted Lu is a congressman. Ted Chang is the writer. <laughs>
1: Ken Liu.
3: Ken Liu is the writer.
1: Let's invite Ted Liu into people's <laughs> lives, too. He's a very <laughs> nice person.
0: <laughs> Another thing about sci-fi is that it can be quite hopeful and optimistic. I mean, they're often imagining what humanity might be like hundreds and sometimes thousands of years into the future. Yes. Does yes. that sense of optimism resonate with you?
3: Well, not all science fiction uh, depictions in the popular culture are hopeful or optimistic. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of... of um, you know, dystopian hmm. sci-fi hmm. Yes. that's out there. In fact, I think that the dystopian point of view is the really the predominant one in popular culture where the future is concerned. There's a lot of pessimism in, in future uh, forecasting these days. The idea that AI is going to, you know, take over and, and murder us in our sleep and, you know, just all <laughs> kinds of <laughs> scenarios. like that. <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of scenarios of, of doom and gloom are are, are, are what, are coming up and out. Um so even more reason than for me to hold on to to you know, hope, Star Trek and, and its hopeful vision of the future.
1: Is there one type of that science fiction that you prefer to consume as a moviegoer? Do you like to go to the hopeful movies or do you just like put the scary ones in front of you and be like, I'm gonna confront this now?
3: Well let's see, um let's let's cite examples. Um, I I have seen all of the Star Trek movies mm-hmm. except for the last couple of of movies with the new cast. Oh, um, I I have not seen all of the Star Wars movies. <gasps> How is that possible? I think that's fine. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> you know, l- let me just say this about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. My life, <laughs> can I tell no, you my I'm life not, was not, just
0: made? Because not, LeVar
3: Burton just told me off. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying I'm to belittle your love of Star Wars. I mean, I have a great appreciation for Star Wars. I really do. I, I do. I do. I just haven't seen all the movies. Um, um, and, I, and my understanding is are not all great. Not all the Star Trek movies are great. Only the odd numbered ones make sense to watch. So, Touché. you know, there's that. There's that. Well, yeah. if, you were,
2: if you were to make a list of sci-fi movies for people Ooh, out there yeah. who maybe aren't as familiar with sci-fi as yeah. you, who um, aren't part of this universe, what movies would you recommend as kind of a starter Question. course?
3: All right. The Man Who Fell to Earth, Nicholas Rogue, Ooh. starring David Bowie. The, yes. Oh, one. yes. David Excellent. Bowie's magic in that. He is. <gasps> David so Bowie's magic in everything. Okay. Facts. Yes. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, number two, ooh, this is good. This is good. Uh, E.T. Duh. Oh, oh, yes.
1: yes. <laughs> There's a nice hopeful story. E.T.
3: Fun in the
1: Head.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Number three, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Ooh, those mashed potatoes. Yep. Yep. Right. Yes. Mashed potato mountain. Richard Dreyfuss in a manic sweat. Like yes. And that Casio keyboard playing ooh. that music. Ooh. <laughs> all of that every he single bit sound of sound effects yeah, yeah. <laughs> hold on all of these are hopeful movies by the way these are hopeful movies. Hey, no, no, no no this is what i'm saying i mean that's you know these this is this is my science fiction you know canon this is this is what when i think of science fiction movies and science fiction in the popular culture I, I think of star trek the television series and i think of the the these movies um yeah
1: so you're obviously a sound effects guy. Is there one movie that you think just does sound effects so well that you can think of off the top of your head?
3: That's also a, a hopeful uh, vision of the It doesn't have to be
1: hopeful. It could be dark and depressing.
3: Um, the, the best um, sound design I have ever been, uh, I was going to say witness to, but <laughs> that would be using my eyes. The best movie I've ever heard is the opening 10 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Uh-huh. That landing on the beach at Normandy and those bullets whizzing through the water. I mean, that whole sequence auditorily is is absolutely um, spellbinding. That's amazing storytelling.
1: It's chilling. It's chilling. A hundred percent. Wow.
3: All
2: right. Well, we have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. More with Lavar Burton right after this. Welcome back. We're still here with the incomparable LaVar Burton. Now, LaVar, we like to talk about firsts and faves on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're going to switch gears with you now and talk a bit about some of the most memorable movie moments in your opinion. So first and foremost, when was the first time you can remember going to the movies and seeing someone on screen who looked like you or reminded you of you who really felt in some way like a representation of who you are, who made you feel seen. Wow.
3: Nobody's ever asked me this question before.
2: You're kidding. Because for so many people out there, you made us feel seen. So the idea that you don't have that on your list also. Oh, "Oh, we need to hear this. I have
3: it on my list. It's just that no one's ever asked me this question
1: before. (laughs) Well, we're honored (laughs) to be the first.
3: Yes. First time, first time question. 1963. Sacramento, California, the drive-in movies. My parents took me to see Lilies of the Field with Sidney Poitier. Oh, I I, wow. I was wrapped in a blanket on the top of whatever station wagon vehicle we were in. I, I, I think we were with friends, you know, so it was a couple of families that had gone to the drive-in this particular night to see this movie. And this black man came on the screen and he had a smile a mile wide and he was as eloquent as they come. And he was beautiful and in command and in control of himself and in his life. I mean, the character that he was playing, Homer Smith, was an itinerant handyman. But there was so much dignity in the way Sidney Poitier portrayed him. I fell in love.
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm. Oh, well, he never wrong. played a role without dignity. No, he didn't.
1: And it can't be understated what that means. What, oh. Like what, what it means to see somebody like you being portrayed with that type of dignity that you can aspire to. Yeah,
3: um, if you can see it, right? If you can dream it, you can do it. You can be it, right? Mm-hmm. I've been trying to um, live up to my image of what Cindy Poitier is in my mind for my whole life that's beautiful I, such
0: a great tribute to him and I love that you saw the movie at the drive-in
3: <laughs>
0: it's like, that's so perfect no I mean you know the first movie I saw the drive-in was a rated R movie oh. and you know most you know most people and my parents took me to that right. believe what it or not it? I, I, I'm, I can't remember exactly but I remember there was nudity mm-hmm. so um, and I think Rosalind Cash was in it wow. but you know most, most people remember the first R-rated movie that they saw and oh. some of us might have even snuck into the theater to to see it right. some people do that right. you know or have done that do you remember the first rated r movie you saw growing I up
3: don't i i am I'm, I'm sure it was let's see the first r-rated movie i saw growing up um was it omega man that the rosaline yes Cash? that
0: was the movie well, i that, saw that was the movie you that saw right oh my so God. maybe it was a, we saw the same man. we
3: saw the same first r-rated movie you are slaying
0: me right now. I can I could not for the life of me Omega remember Man. that. Charlton That's Heston it. It was Omega Rosalind Man Cash. Charlton yes. yeah. I don't yeah. remember. That. Yes. Oh
3: my god, you have to see this movie. Okay, so talk about dystopian yes. <laughs> visions Yes, It was future. it was apocalyptic. <laughs> it, and people had glowing eyes and to this day Anthony Zerby as as the, as the as the the prophet of doom with glowing doom. eyes. Yes. Ah. To this day, I thought my
0: parents hated me because <laughs> I was so young. Why would you take me to see this? It, why would you take me to see this? I I had nightmares for weeks.
1: Wait, so who played um, the bad guy in this movie? Anthony cool. Zerbe. Uh-huh. And
3: all of the other zombies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Charlton Heston Charlton Heston was the hero Charlton Heston was the hero go figure
1: <laughs> go figure
0: but could you would you imagine it was my first time seeing black zombies yes and so I was like I oh was, no yeah. we can we can be zombies too well <laughs> you can be anything you, zombie diversity yeah. we can, you can be. be you
1: can be at least then. you can, <laughs> yeah. you can see a black zombie
0: <laughs> thank you LeVar Burton for bringing for actually knowing what that movie was uh, because I every time I said glowing eyes and nudity people just looked at me like I was crazy <laughs> No. So you reached
1: into my soul no. and you
3: pulled it out. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you on, on, on the Omega man tip.
1: Now, LeVar on screen, you tend to play the good guy yeah. in a lot of things. Yeah. Is there, I want to talk about villains mm-hmm. for a little bit. Who are some of your favorite mm. movie villains?
3: Cruella DeVille. <gasps> Um, I love. Tender. Yeah, I mean, come
1: on. You don't. You not It doesn't get worse than that. Such fabulous hair. <laughs> great hair. Right?
3: How can you be so cruel and look so good? All at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's
1: just not right. My exes ask me that all the time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, let's see. I guess Khan, right? Um, from the Star Trek universe. Ah, um, right? right. oh. Khan. Yes. <laughs> um he's a great and how can you not love Ricardo Montalbán?
2: Yes, mm, yes. Welcome, welcome to, to Fantasy Island. <laughs> rich Corinthian
3: leather. <laughs> <laughs> um so those are those are a couple of those are pretty good villains. Those pretty, are great ones. Pretty good villains. Um th- then then uh, my favorite villain of all time because he redeems himself mm. in the end is Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol.
2: Oh, oh so I good. love that you brought up a Christmas movie. I'm a Christmas nut, as Lisa and Sandra know. All like right, so crazy here's the question: Christmas.
3: Die Hard Christmas movie? Yes, no. Yes, yes, no. yes, it yes. is. Sandra,
1: Look, I watched it for the first time two Christmases ago, uh-huh. and I was like, I get, I get why people are like into the movie as a movie. I didn't get the Christmas from it. I, I really didn't.
0: If you just watched it two Christmases ago, you don't get a vote yet, sweetie.
3: You have to watch it
0: a few more times Ouch. and then we'll revisit. We'll yeah. revisit.
2: Just watch it every Christmas for twenty five years and get back to us.
1: Yes. <laughs> Commitment. Yes, <it> is. <laughs> That's I feel about
0: And that us. is their point.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you, Lavar.
1: All right. Wait, but so LaVar, did you answer that question? I, did I? Do you think it's a I Christmas don't have movie? To. <laughs> I asked the question,
0: <laughs> and this is the point where Levar Burton takes over the
1: podcast. It's just Levar goes to the movies now. Levar goes to well, the movies. We renamed it. We've it's official. It <laughs> oh, good.
2: Okay, but you're fine. You, so are so you. Fun. You're you're fun, and we want to talk just a little bit more about you. <laughs> Going back to how your fans see you mm-hmm. as the fantastic person that you are. I think a lot of people, especially the reading rainbow generation, might have an impression of you based on your work as actually kind of a saintly figure.
3: That so sucks. What? <laughs> it does. I was a Catholic. I know what how, how revered saints are. That is an impossible standard to live up to. I used to read biographies of saints when I was a kid. Um, like... Uh, that, that, I was a strange child. but
2: Did you like Lucy? She's the one who has her eyes on a plate. St. Lucy was my favorite. I
3: don't no, St. Lucy. She's the patron saint of? Do
2: you know? Um, blindness. She had her what? eyes ripped out. And then um, her saint card is a picture of her holding a plate with her eyeballs on them.
3: Okay. You see, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. I'm
2: taking things in a wrong direction, I don't aren't I? I think so. No no, about no, 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 no,
3: no, no. <laughs> I think that's, 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 that's case in point. Right. This is why you don't want to be a saint. <laughs> exactly. This is why I be a saint end up with your eyeballs on a plate. That's the message <laughs> that and and that and 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 the message was loud and clear that in order to become a saint, you had to have something horrible happened to you you had to martyr yourself in some way you had to become a martyr
1: and martyrs usually die very painful deaths i didn't want that so here's my question then so so many generations look up to you who did you look up to when you were coming up in your career actor-wise
3: my very first day as a professional actor on roots um cicely tyson played my mother
1: oh my um, mm. angelo
3: played my grandmother Mm. Um, I worked with um, Louis Gossett Jr., Harry Rhodes, Moses Gunn, G2 Kumbuka, um, all of the greats from the Negro Ensemble Theater Company, um, actors and actresses that I had seen um, and been aware of the whole of my life. And um, they embraced me as the new kid on the block and as 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 terrified as I was. I mean, literally shitting in my pants. No, well, not literally. No. You know, uh, figuratively shitting in my pants. Um, I did my best. I mean, you, know, you, know, you, you do what you do in those situations. You, you, you hide your terror and act as if, right? And, um, and that's what I've been doing for 43 years.
1: Hide my terror is my life motto. Yeah,
3: <laughs> You do it so well, though. Hide, hide the terror, act as if you, you, you know better. Right? Act as if you've been there. Act as if you can hang.
0: Life advice. Love it. I have kind of a random question, though. Of course, this is a podcast, and everyone is hearing your wonderful voice. You have like the best voice. It's like velvet. I would say it's up there with like the James Earl Jones this and Morgan Freeman is voices. CNN
3: exactly <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like three <laughs> octaves away <laughs> but that was a nice try a nice I feel try. like Simba trying to find his roar <laughs> <laughs> oh Lion King
0: uh,
3: that well, was, was sp- pathetic <laughs> no, it's pretty it good. It's beautiful. It
0: beautiful. You. Well, with your podcast, Labar Burton Reads, you're creating this very intimate relationship yeah. in the way that you did with reading Rainbow between, a, you know, a new generation of fans and your voice. Yeah. But what is your relationship with your voice? Do you like the sound of it? I mean, if I had a voice like yours, I think it'd be
3: hard to resist not just talking out loud to myself all the time. <laughs> uh, I think I I I know that I've gone through different uh, phases, um falling in and out of love with with my voice. Um I I was told I was <sighs> <sighs> i'm learning how to sing currently
2: oh, oh, ooh yeah. can you sing something for us now i
3: don't know I bet you can i bet you, I bet you could mind. but my, my my point is is, is that uh, when I was in the fifth grade, a nun told me that i was i, I was not a singer that I could not sing and i that nun's it. an idiot and I, and I believed <laughs> that woman until very recently, as I oh. begin to find my own authentic singing voice, I mourn, well, everything happens for a reason. So, you know, I was going to say I mourn all those, those years where I believed that I could not sing, but I'm just so grateful to be finally discovering that place inside of myself where I can Mm. produce melody. I, I, (laughs) I could never hear it before. And, and And now I'm hearing in a way that allows me to reproduce melody, and I'm just thrilled.
1: How dare they Mm. dim your shine?
3: And I know it was unintentional. I know she was probably having a bad day or whatever. And I know she was probably speaking her truth or her perception as she experienced it in that moment. And I probably did. And if you talk to my wife and daughter, yeah, when I try and sing, I often sound absolutely horrible. And... I hadn't found my authentic voice yet. And, and I'm discovering it now. So I'll, you'll hear it or not. We might force you before you go. <laughs> well, we can sing, we can, there's, there is one song that we can sing. What's that? <gasps> oh. Right? Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow I can go anywhere friends to know and ways to grow A reading rainbow
2: Woo! Oh my god
1: well done
3: Tom Burton, saying to us yes. you guys i'm
1: over here like crying she's crying yes.
3: this so oh, good God. Like here, there are some Kleenex someplace in here. Oh Brendan, oh where God.
1: did we leave the Kleenex this week? That was so <laughs> oh, special. Was so that was great. so special.
2: Oh. Okay, we, we only have one minute left with you, LaVar, oh. but we really just want to ask you one last question, sure. if we could. Right. Um, we're keeping that song in our heart, by the way, while we ask you this question. Right. We play a game with all of our guests on the show called My Five Movies. And for this, we want you just to imagine you are stranded on... On another planet and you can only watch five movies for the rest of your life. It can be an apocalyptic planet, post-apocalyptic, it can be a happy planet, but there are only five movies on this planet. What five movies are you going to choose to watch for the rest of your life?
3: Wow. The Godfathers, one and two. Oh,
0: Lisa. Come on. Come on, <laughs> Lisa's mine. happy about that Those one. Are mine.
3: Um The Oxbow Incident, and then I'm going to go The Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon, uh, Godfather 1 and 2, The Oxbow Incident, and uh, Trading Places.
2: (gasps) Yeah! Another Christmas movie!
3: (laughs) Yes! That is a Christmas
1: movie. (laughs) That is.
2: Oh, my gosh. LaVar uh, Burton all about that wow. kicker. Yeah. I, I applaud
1: yes. the stadium. Yes. places.
3: Trin- Trin- Bravo. places Trin- yes. for Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Eddie Murphy as good as it gets. Um uh magnificent. Great great script. Uh, terrific execution. Um the two older actors Ralph Bellamy and um uh Don Amici. Don Amici. No. Don Amici. Yes. thank you. Thank you for Oh, they're save. so
2: good at playing stingy oh, gross old guys. Boy. <laughs> boy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's those a, are great picks. Yeah,
3: those are those are, those are my five on my my five Desert Island picks.
2: Oh my Excellent. gosh. Well, Lavar, it has just been magical talking with you oh. today. It's just been an absolute pleasure. have loved every moment. Think, of it. Thank you. All. We've loved every moment. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us on the podcast.
3: Pleasure.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
3: Peace and blessings.
0: Peace and blessing, Right back at you.
2: And reminder, Lavar Burton Reads returns for its fifth season on August 13th. So subscribe to it now so you won't miss an episode.
1: All right, don't go anywhere. More of Lisa, Sandra, and Kristen go to the movies right after this break. I was watching an episode of CNN's new series, The Movies, and naturally, The Exorcist came up. And boy, do I have a story for you. When I was 10 years old, my sister Lucy and I rented The Exorcist for the first time. This was about 24 years after the film had first come out. We went to Blockbuster, picked it up, and were ready to take it home. How did two children rent this Rated R movie, you might ask? Well, the answer is we were with our mother, who gave us her full blessing to terrify ourselves with a film famous for making people vomit in the theater. Thanks, Mom. A little backstory. My parents were very much the type of people who let us watch anything we wanted. My best friend Dina always talks about how she liked coming over to our house because we got to watch Rated R movies. In my parents' defense, they weren't negligent. We were allowed that privilege with the understanding that we would not use the language we heard in those movies in public, and we would shield our own eyes during sex scenes. If these unofficial policies were broken, the right to watch rated R movies would be taken away. As kids, we always gravitated towards darker films. One of my favorite movies as a very young child was Beetlejuice. So my parents generally accepted that we were kids who were difficult to scare and weren't easily affected by darker themes. I really appreciated their trust. The Exorcist ended up being the biggest test of their theory. And as it turns out, we could be scared. My sister had nightmares for weeks, probably months, and if she's being honest, Years. I ran out of the room and refused to go back in. I've also never eaten pea soup because I once read that that's what they used to make the vomit in the film, and I just couldn't stomach it. The whole running out of the room thing had only happened to me once before. I was maybe six years old when my family rented Alive, that movie about a plane crash in the Andes, and I didn't even make it to the cannibalism. When the plane crashed and some guy got a shard of glass in his thigh, I lost my mind. There were tears and I was just in a fit of terror and I developed a lifelong disdain for flying. My mom had to put on my favorite episode of Full House to calm me down. Despite all of this, I think my parents made the right choice. My mom and dad embraced our bravery and trusted us to handle mature themes. I plan to do the same. Their trust also helped me develop a lifelong love of scary movies. To this day, I love Nightmare on Elm Street and Chucky and all the Friday the 13th films. I watch them even though I feel like I spend more time behind my hands than I did when I was a kid. In case you're wondering, I did eventually finish The Exorcist. About five years later.
0: And that's a wrap, as they say. If you're like us and can't get enough movies in your life check out CNN's new TV series, The Movies, airing Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on CNN and on CNN.com go. From executive producers Tom Hanks, Gary Getzman, and Mark Herzog, The Movies is a fascinating exploration of movies throughout the decades, and it shows the cultural, societal, and political shifts that frame the evolution of American cinema. You can also visit CNN.com slash The Movies for more. And if you
2: liked this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating or a comment. This episode was produced by Amy Eason, Elizabeth Roberts, and Emma Sislowski. This is Lisa, Sandra, and Kristen Go to the Movies. Thank you so much for
3: listening, and we'll see you next time.